Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. So this morning, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking through First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it. I'd like you to read along with me, and then uh, we'll have a word of prayer, <clears throat> and we'll get right into our study. A little disclaimer, I have a little tickle in my throat, so, and this thing's on me, and so I can't do one of these, so I'm sorry. It's just what it is. It's probably this old building, actually, is what it is. I've never, I've never preached in a proper church before. They won't let me. That's a joke. Anyway, sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Um, here we go. First Peter chapter 1, Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. I love that. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading Reserved in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, all sorts of trials. This is so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, because gold perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, Searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. I love 1 Peter 1 through 13. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look this morning, Lord, at this living hope, we pray, Lord, that we would be anchored in that hope. Lord, that though the mountains give way, Lord, though the sea roar, Lord, though all around us may fall and fail that there is a city 
in which God is in the midst and she shall not be moved. We thank you, Lord, that we are part of that city that has foundation, whose builder and maker is Christ. Lord, we pray that we would fix our eyes fully, that we would set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, or excuse me, to us on that day when Jesus Christ is revealed in all of his majesty and his beauty. Lord, this morning, prepare our minds, Lord, to live in this world, to be the church, to be your ambassadors, to be your exiles. Lord, fill my mouth, I pray, this morning, Lord, with praises for Jesus. Lord, I pray that the result of this time in your word, Lord, would be that Jesus is much more precious to us, that we see the excellency of Christ, that we taste and see that the Lord is good, that we stand firmly on that foundation, Lord. To you be the glory, in Christ's name, amen. Now, if you know anything about 1 Peter, Peter is writing to the church, and it is mainly a Gentile church. A Gentile church, so it's it's non-Jewish, right? Made up of all sorts of different people. And this church that he's writing to is made up of many churches, right? That's the body of Christ. We are the universal church, but we are scattered all throughout the world in local congregations. So Peter writes to this church church that is scattered throughout what is today modern Turkey. And this church is undergoing persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible deals with trials, right? And it, it kind of gets, it's a gimme, right? It's a, it, the Bible just assumes we're going to have trials, we're going to have tribulations, we're going to have hardships, we're going to have sickness, we, we're going to have people in our lives who, who, who die, we're going to have tragedy, all these things. But the specific trials that Peter is dealing with here is trials because of a hope in Jesus Christ. Because of a commitment to Jesus Christ, these believers are experiencing persecution. We'll talk about that more. Now, the reason that we know this right out the gate is because of the way that Peter refers to them. He calls them exiles. Now, there's nothing in, within the epistle of 1 Peter that would tell us that they are actually from another place, that they're actually from Rome, and now they're living in Turkey or anything like that. But Peter is most likely addressing people who are nationals, right? They're from that area, but he says, but you're not. You're exiles, he says, you are pilgrims, you are sojourners. Now, uh, you, we all know what an exile is. We know what a pilgrim is. We, would, we know what a sojourner is. It's someone who takes up residence in a place that is not their home. Now, Peter's reference here is not only spiritual in the fact that these Christians are citizens of heaven and therefore are out of place in the world, but it is also physical. And what I mean by physical is it's felt. They feel it every single day. It's not just a spiritual truth. It is a physical reality to this church, and it's probably a physical reality for you. They are citizens of God's kingdom, and therefore, 
they are on a collision course with the priorities of the surrounding culture. Now, they are citizens of heaven, but they are exiled. They are where they are by the sovereignty of God. God has placed them there. He has called them to be where they are for the purpose that they would point to the kingdom. For the purpose that they would live out lives that glorify God. And, and Peter's whole teaching, if you, if you were to take 1 Peter and just narrow it down to what is, what is Peter's big idea that he's trying to tackle? Here's the idea. How are we to live as the people of God in this world? How are we to live as the people of God? And what Peter goes on to tell us, much different to the way that we, the church has done in history, is Peter tells us don't flee from the world. Don't hide up in monasteries or, um, hopefully I don't offend anyone here, Christian schools or don't hide behind a Christian label. These things he says, engage. Be in the world, he says. Secondly, he would tell us, do not fight the world. It is not through political moves or lobbying that we will establish the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes when Christ comes, right? He will establish that kingdom. And he is already building that kingdom. And so we don't fight. The weapons of our warfare, Paul says, are not physical, but they're spiritual and they're mighty for pulling down strongholds and casting down any argument that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. So we're not to fight those around us. You know, so often this is the mentality of the church. It's like, we got to fight the liberals. we got to fight the homosexuals. And God is telling us, you know what? They're not homosexuals. They're people, first and foremost, that are lost and loved by God. And if we make homosexuality the issue... They'll never be saved. And so Peter would tell us, rather than fight, we need to love and we need to honor. We need to love and we need to respect. And he goes on about this, you know, that when we are persecuted, that we don't just like throw back, like, hey, nobody, you can't do that to me. I'm a child of God. Who do you think you are? This earth is mine because the meek are going to inherit the earth. You know, it's like sometimes we get that mentality as a church. Peter says, no, 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 no. Love and respect. And then, of course, he would also tell us that rather than conform to the world, which is something that the church has done many times over, I know the church in England, for the most part, has gone towards liberal theology. It's done that as well in the area that I'm in. They've conformed to the world. They've become lax on morality. And God is just a big bundle of love in the sky that just wants to hug and kiss everybody. And there's nothing about the justice of God. What will we do for the unborn that have no voice? Who will stand for them, right? What about those things? And so God says, I don't want you to conform either. That's not my plan for you, church. I want you to transform. And that's why he has sent us into the world. That's why he has left us in the world. He has left us into the world to continue the mission of Christ, to engage, to cross cultural boundaries. 
He has called us to love, to respect, to transform the very communities and society that are bent on our demise. Now, I just want to kind of give you some context to to who Peter's writing to and, and what he's dealing with. So the question, the question then is raised for these believers, how can they, how can we have the power of soul in times of great stress and anxiety, not just to endure evil, around us, when evil happens to us. But how do we be joyful? How do we fill our lives with the fruits of righteousness? That would be Philippians 1, 11 talks about that. Deeds of kindness, acts of mercy, labors of love. How are we to do this? How, when your whole life is falling apart, if that's your job, your marriage, your health, your respect in the community, your place in, the, in society. How can you rise above with joy and bless those who abuse you and devote yourself, commit yourself to love them? How can that be done, right? It's impossible with man. How do we busy ourselves for love's sake? To spend ourselves in love to others when our lives are falling apart. That takes power. Power of soul, which is totally beyond us. Totally and completely beyond us. So if this is what we are called to do, if this is what we are called to do, then the power has to come from a source greater than the human soul. It is not from the power within. It is from power without. It is found somewhere else. So here's the question, if I could just narrow it into a nutshell. How are we to continually engage, love, honor, and transform the city in the face of life and opposition? Peter tells us by the power of a living hope. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I want to stir you up. I want to remind you. I want to leave here and each one of us to feel that we have anchored our souls in the foundation of the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's get into our text. I'd like to actually begin with verse 13. I totally forgot to read it when I started, but whatever, you know. Nobody was paying attention, right? Cool. So first, Peter wants to talk to us about this anchor of hope. What is this anchor of hope? So he says this in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Peter knows what's ahead. He knows what he's going to talk about. He knows what he's going to call them to. And he says, you need to prepare your mind for action. You need to think clearly. And you need to set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Totally and completely, you need to put all of your hope, not just in Jesus Christ, but in a physical event. The day of salvation, Peter says, right? So here's what Peter's doing, okay? 
we need to understand this. Before Peter begins to talk about their particular situation and how they are to live as Christians, how they are to engage in their hostile community, he wants to prepare their minds for action, as he says, but he wants to do it by giving them an anchor to hold them steady, to give them a foundation to which they can build upon. Remember, Jesus talked about this in the Gospels. He said, you know, there was, there was a foolish man who built his house upon the what? Sand. Right? As, as all of us know, even if we've never built anything in our lives, sand does not hold up. Right? But then there was a wise man, and he built his house on the rock. Why? Because the rock is a solid foundation. Peter wants us as believers to have a solid foundation because he knows the storms that will come. He knows the hardships of the Christian life. I was thinking about this. I don't know what, it, what Christianity was presented to you as, but so often I heard it. It's like, oh man, I took Jesus and I've never regretted it a day in my life. I have. <laughs> I totally have. You know, I've been like, man, this sucks. Everybody out there seems to just be enjoying life to the fullest. Uh, who spoke a couple weeks ago on Psalm 73? It was great. Why do the wicked prosper? And if I'm a child of God, and if Christianity is so great and so joyful, what's going on? What's wrong with me, right? We need a living hope because Christianity isn't easy. It's not easy. It's worth it, right? It's worth it. And so we need a foundation so that we can get to the end, so that we can totally and completely experience all that God has planned for us in his goodness and his love. I'm totally getting ahead of myself, but it's okay. You guys all know that, I, but I kind of clued you in just now. So Peter wants to give them this perspective, and we need to have this perspective, right? Because sometimes what we do is we get the cart before the horse, and I think for myself growing up in a Christian home, it was kind of like all these ideas, like I, I referenced earlier, love God, love God, love God, love God. You need to first and foremost understand that God loves you. It is not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, right? He first loved us, and that's why we love him. God has worked. He has caused us to be born again unto a living hope. And because he has given us a living hope, we can live for him. We can endure. So that's what Peter wants to do. He, he wants to, to, to build a strong foundation for us before we engage with society, before we try in our own efforts to love and respect, before we try to transform, he says, oh, you're going to need a strong foundation. You're going to need an anchor. Peter. Well, let's read verses 3 through 5 together. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. I love that. It was the will of God the Father that we would be born again, that we would experience his love as Father, that we would be born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter wants this church to dwell, to meditate on the fact that they are part of a glorious living hope 
Again, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here's what we need to do first. We need to talk about hope. You know why? Because we are such pessimistic people. Because this is the way that we think of hope. We say things like, well, I say things like this. I don't know about you. I really hope I don't go bald. But I am. I am going bald. Like, no, you're not. Oh, I am. It's happening. I made it to 30, and I'm like, you know what, Lord? Whatever happens, happens now. I made it to 30. I'm married, for better or for worse. <laughs> you know, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be worse, for sure. Um, but, you know, we say things like that. Like, we, we use hope in that context of a negative. Uh, I really hope I don't go bald in my context. Or, you know, we hope very strongly that something will happen, although we know the odds are stacked against us. When the New Testament speaks of a Christian's hope, it is speaking of hope and a longing for what is certain to come. It is expectation. Not like, oh, I, I hope Jesus is real. I hope it's real. I hope it's real. I hope it's real. Oh, it's not real. How disappointing. Paul says if we have hope in this life alone, we are the foolish, most pitiable of all people. So, we're longing for what is the coming, and Peter points us, as I said, to an event. He points us to an event, and he says, the grace, the unmerited favor that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ when we stand before him on that day, when we crown him with many crowns, as the hymn says, when we cast our golden crowns before him, we say, you alone are worthy, O Lord. He says, look to that day. Look to that day. Now we need to talk about hope a little bit more because Peter doesn't just say hope. He says living hope. And living hope is a little different than hope. Again, hope, in the New Testament sense, is full assurance, strong confidence that God is going to do good to us. That God has wonderful plans for us. He has a glorious future for us. So a living hope would be fertile, fruitful, productive hope. So living hope is hope that has power and produces change in our present circumstance. That's what a living hope is. It's a hope, if you will, that we live out of. I can do all of these things because I have the solid foundation of hope. That makes sense? It's like that smooth walking path. I can carry on with the journey because the path is set before me. It's straight. It's narrow. I know the way. It doesn't have twists and turns and stones that will trip me up. That word living, we find it often in the New Testament. Remember Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and effective. So Christian hope is a strong confidence in God which has power to produce change in how we live. Power to live to the glory of God. Power 
to fulfill and to continue the mission of Jesus Christ here on earth, to engage, to love, to honor, and to transform the cities that God has called us to. So Peter is giving them a hope to live out of. Now, again, what is this hope exactly? Well, the first thing that Peter tells us about this hope is that it is something that they have attained, not through work, not through money, but it is something that they have been born into by God's mercy. It is a gift of God. God has given this to us. He has caused us to be born again, not by the will of man, not by the efforts of the flesh, not by my striving, but by his unearned favor, by his kindness. I have been brought in by the goodness of God. So Peter says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So Peter is pointing us to this fact that we have not just become or attained citizenship, but that we've been born into citizenship. We have a right, we have a status. As John 1, 11 through 13 tells us this gift from God. Now Peter tells us that this living hope is also, it's not just a birth, but there's, there's perks to it. There's perks to it. There's benefits to it. He says, oh, by the way, there's a pretty hefty inheritance. By the way, this inheritance can never perish. Can never perish. Can never be taken away from. You could go to the ATM every single day and pull out, you know, whatever limit they put on it. I don't know. And I think in the States it's like $310, at least for my bank it is. You could do it every single day. Maximum amount. It will never run out. Never run out. Undiminished, he says, undefiled, it can never rot or spoil. As Jesus says, remember, he says, where moth and rust do not destroy. It is unfading. Never diminished, it never withers, it never dries up. And he tells us that it is reserved in heaven for us. And he says, not only is this inheritance reserved for us, but we ourselves are being guarded by God. He is keeping us for that day. Such a wonderful truth. Jude tells us, keep yourself in the love of God. But then we can find it all over the New Testament that he's the one that keeps us. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling. Jude goes on to say, I love that truth. Now, the inheritance that Peter talks about here, I just want you to understand this. This inheritance seems to be in contrast with the inheritance of the land of Israel. You think about it. God promised the land to Abraham and to his descendants, yet the land was continually destroyed by raiding armies. The land was continually defiled by the sin of the Israelites. It was perverted. Innocent blood was spilled in the land. Remember that king Manasseh? The righteous blood of the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of the wicked things that Manasseh had done. And many times, the land of milk and honey went through famine and devastation. Peter says God has something much, much better for us. 
All those things that were true about the land of Israel are not true about the new Jerusalem. Love it. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for us. So what is Peter saying? He's saying that our hope is absolutely sure. Anybody gamble in here? Come on. Okay. You're not going to be honest. That's fine. Just kidding. I gambled, I think, one time. I was like 15 years old. I had a $50 token for somewhere, and I blew it. I lost. But I bet you would gamble. I bet you would if you knew that there was no way that you could lose. It's not really a gamble, is it, right? It's like, but they still call it gambling. But if you knew that there was no way that you could lose and you'd win it all, a billion dollars, ten billion dollars, how many of you would just, you'd cash in? I hope all of you would, right? Yeah, come on. It's like, no, I'm a good Christian. No, you're not. Come on. It's got an allure to us. That's what Peter is telling us. He's like, listen, God has given us something that is so certain, so sure. He has given us that cornerstone, and whoever believes on him will never be disappointed. I always think of rock climbing with this. I'm not a rock climber, so I don't know why I do, but I think about the fact, you know, that the rock climber, what he definitely wants, he wants a sure anchor, right? Those guys that climb Everest, it's like, I'm not climbing that thing unless I have a sure anchor, unless I am absolutely certain that that rock will not give way. I have a friend who climbs, and he talks about, like, I guess there's, like, soft rock, and then there's hard rock, and there's certain kinds of rocks that, like, oh, this is a perfect rock for climbing, because when you put your anchors in, like, you're certain that the rock will never give way. It will never disappoint. It will never let you down. You will never be ashamed. You will not be disappointed for having set your hope completely on that day is what Peter is telling us. Why? What is that day? What is it? What is this hope? This inheritance, Peter doesn't explicitly say, but the inheritance is our ultimate glorification. That we will be made like Christ's glorious body. Peter tells us in his second epistle, he, he, says, he puts it like this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We get to share in the glory of God. We are partakers of the divine nature. That's part of what we get. Immortality as a gift from God. The likeness of Jesus Christ. Not just looks. The character of Christ. That glory. We get to rule and reign with Christ, the scripture tells us. Peter goes on, by which he is granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
If you go on to read through 1 Peter, you'll see that glorification is a huge topic that Peter deals with. Other New Testament writers also refer to this inheritance, though I think Paul is the most specific about it. <clears throat> he says here in Romans, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, we are heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ. We get the status of the unique Son of God. It's incredible. We who were once out were in. It's the divine comedy. We're in. We who were once enemies are now sons and daughters. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. We'll talk about that in a moment. Paul goes on to say, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. And Paul goes on in the same chapter, and he tells us that it's not just our glorification, but within our glorification, that the creation itself will be released from the bondage of decay. And that the whole of creation now groans and eagerly waits for what? That day. That same day that Peter says you point to, he says, the mountains and the trees and the rivers and the oceans and the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom, they long for it. They are looking forward to that day. You also look forward to that day when we will be released from the bondage of decay and we will inherit glory. And the dwelling place of God will be with man. And we will have no need for the sun. I could go on and on and on because this is the thing that gets me going. This is the thing that wets me. I was like, yes, I want more of it. Sorry. <clears throat> but what he's talking about is he's talking about the restoration of all things. It's that day when every mountain will be brought low. Every valley will be exalted. The meek will inherit the earth. Rights will be wrong. Everything sad will come untrue. <sighs> Cannot wait for that day. Now, Peter here is talking about, <clears throat> sorry, it's that cough thing. He's talking specifically about us, though, and what we get. And, he's, and his focus is our glorification. And the creation just kind of, it's thrown in. It's like, boom, you can have that too. Hey, thanks, God. It's cool. So our glorification, we get to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, the divine nature, like, oh that's, oh, that's cool, I guess. Sit on a cloud, play a harp, sing holy, 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 holy. How long are we going to do this? You know, 10,000 years. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you know, uh, and some of us are like, we read that and we're like, okay, I hope that's not what it's like. <laughs> Scripture doesn't really tell us what it's like, actually. Paul just says this. He's like, I can't, ex I can't express it. Sorry, I wish I could. And John in Revelation, he's like, he was crazy. You know, he's <laughs> like, what is that? 
or, or Ezekiel. There was this wheel, and then there was a wheel in the middle of that wheel, you know, and it was like spin. I don't know what was happening. And these guys, they didn't turn, and, you know, it's crazy stuff. What, what, is he, what are they basically saying? I don't know what was happening. I can't describe it. It was more glorious than anything I've ever tasted, smelled, heard, experienced. Scripture does not tell us exactly what it looks like, what this day of hope, this day of salvation looks like, but I tell you this, it cannot be less. It cannot be less. It can only be much more, much, much more. The beautiful sunset, the kiss of a loved one, Those moments where it's like, this is it. It does not get better than this. Oh, just wait. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Too weak. She's beautiful. If I don't have her, I'll die. And yet in heaven, they are not given in marriage. How does that work? Lord, earthly love must be too strong for you. He's like, no, it's too weak. It's too weak. Lewis goes on to say, we are half-hearted creatures. We fool around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that great? I know, you're just like, oh, man. So listen, you guys, that day of hope, that day of glory, it is so much more. Paul says that the present sufferings of this world cannot compare with the glory that shall be revealed in us. In us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Man has never even imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. I cannot wait. I cannot wait when the dwelling place of God is with man. And infinite joys experienced by his sons and daughters. I don't have time to continue, though I would. So Peter goes on, and he now talks about their present circumstance. Here's why they need an anchor of hope. In light of their present circumstance, they must set their hope fully on the day of salvation. He says, in this you rejoice. Because now, at this present time, What's he talking about? Life. He's not talking about like, well, yeah, last week was a trial. It was hard. He's like, life is a trial. (laughs) All who who desire to live righteously in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So Peter says, for a little while, 70 years, 80 years, if necessary, you will be grieved or have been grieved by various trials this is happening, he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, much more precious than gold that perishes that is tested by fire, may be found or may work for you. Praise 
glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So the trials and persecution that Peter's readers are experiencing are directly, as I said earlier, related to their faith in and an identity with Jesus Christ. Let's, let's just talk about this for a moment because I think that this is really going to help us. Peter's readers are undergoing the same exact persecution that we experience today. This is before Nero's persecution. We're talking 62 to probably 64 AD, somewhere where the letter is, is being written. And it was not state-sponsored persecution that was happening. What, what I mean is like the Roman guard were not um, sponsoring this. This was not coming from Rome and like, okay, we're going to persecute the Christians like it did. This is before all that. And what these Christians are experiencing instead is suspicion and censor from their neighbors. A lady named Karen Job says this, because of their Christian faith, they were being marginalized by their society, alienated in their relationships, and threatened with, if not experiencing, a loss of honor and socioeconomic standing. How many of you feel that on a daily basis where you work? No? Somebody does. Good. We can talk about an anchor of hope this morning. I'm glad that somebody's here to, to, to receive this. Good. Okay, so for you, just kidding, we, we know what this is like. And if you don't know what this is like, go to work tomorrow with your Bible. Open it up. Stop talking, start talking about church at the, you know, the watering hole, you know, around the coffee center or, or whatever, you know. And you will quickly experience what? Marginalization. Okay, not talking to that person anymore. All right, avoiding that person. Oh, not going to bring that up with that person anymore. What these Christians had to fear was more in the nature of the social ostracism and unfriendly acts that were done by their neighbors. Pressure on Christian wives from pagan husbands. That persecution. I preferred you when you were a drunk. I preferred you when you beat me. Things like that, you know? Where your spouse is just saying things to just get at you. Because they hate the light that is in you. Masters or bosses taking it out on their Christian employees or slaves in this context and other actions of this kind. All this to say it was making life uncomfortable. They all of a sudden were like, yeah, this world is not our home. This world does not accept us. This world does not have the same desires that we have, does not have the same convictions that we have. We feel alone. We feel scared. Now, Again, you can read Fox's Book of Martyrs or Church History and you can find out a little bit about persecution. But here's, here's one thing that we know. There's a famous piece of graffiti that survived from the first century. And it depicts a donkey on a cross. And the words underneath it say, Alexander worships his God. Alexander, it seems, was a Christian whose faith in a crucified Savior was being ridiculed. Publicly mocked. 
foolishness, ridiculous that one would rise from the dead. Ridiculous that you no longer have to sacrifice to your God. These Christians were being slandered, they were being excluded, they were marginalized. So their trials, like I said, and their persecution was very much like what we experience today. But here's what Peter says. This is amazing what Peter says. He says, listen, rather than grieving, rather than getting depressed, and rather than getting discouraged, you should rejoice. You're kidding me, right? You're kidding me. Here's what he's saying. He's trying to connect for us. Our hope, that anchor, should give us infinite joy. Joy, Peter David says, is not continual feeling of hilarity. If you're one of those people, I'm sorry, we're probably not going to get along. I'm kind of pessimistic. Actually, I'm a realist is what I usually say. I'm a realist. I'm a pessimist. Um, it's not this continual feeling of hilarity. Some Christians misinterpret that. Oh, joy. I'm always fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. God's good. You're like, what is that? What, what do you do at your church? What are you drinking? You know? Gosh. But it's also not a denial of the reality of pain and suffering. Because that's so often what happens to us. We just grow numb. But it is an anticipatory joy that we can experience even now. Despite the outward circumstances, because these believers know that their sufferings are temporary, they know they have an inheritance that is eternal. Eternal. Without end. Without end. Peter says, look to that day. Look to that day. But not only that, not only, okay, look to that day in the midst of these trials, but he says, listen to me. These trials are refining you. They are actually working for your good. God is using these trials to result in your praise your glory, your honor. You think, heretic, what? No, no, that's about Jesus. No, it's not. That's about you. The trials that are happening are resulting in this, you guys, the divine approval. Isn't that amazing to think that God will look at us and he will praise us, that he will sing over us, that he will honor us. We get crowns. What the heck? I didn't do anything. I was orphaned, lost at the fall, ran away from God when he called me, and yet he loved me. He drew me to himself. He called me his own. He saved me by his grace. He works now in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And in the end, he's like, yeah, good job. What did I do, Lord? This thing is rigged. I didn't do, you know, it's, it's the dad that gives his 
kid five bucks to buy him a birthday present, you know? <laughs> and the kid is like, here you go, dad. And the dad's like, this is awesome. It's like, no, it's not. You bought yourself a birthday present. He didn't do anything. That's what happens on that day, you guys. It's crazy. God does all the work. He lets us have, he lets us be a part of it. You know, like the little kid that tries to help dad plumb the sink. It's really not a help. <laughs> it's actually a hindrance most of the time. And then at the end, he's like, well done, my good and faithful child. You are my beloved son or daughter. And in you, I am well pleased. We get the divine approval. So let the trials happen. Let all hell come because that divine approval is worth all the gold, all the silver, all the peace. None of that can compare with that divine approval. Again, sorry, Lewis, he says this. That is enough to raise your thoughts to what may happen when the redeemed soul, beyond all hope and nearly beyond belief, learns at last that he or she has pleased him whom she was created to please. There will be not room for vanity then. She will be free from the miserable illusion that it is her doing. With no taint of what we should now call self-approval, she will most innocently rejoice in the thing that God has made her to be. And the moment which heals her old inferiority complex forever will also drown her pride. Perfect humility dispenses with modesty. If God is satisfied with the work, the work may be satisfied with itself. He says, I can imagine someone, I can imagine this, someone saying here, you dislike this idea of heaven as a place where we are patted on the back. But proud misunderstanding is behind that dislike. In the end, listen to this, in the end, that face which is the delight or the terror of the universe must be turned upon each of us, either with one expression or the other, either conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame that can never be cured or disguised. Whoa, I want that divine approval. Come what may, I want that. I want to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Peter tells us that we need an anchor of hope to live out the Christian faith in a world that continually rejects us. But we also must remember that God uses the trials in our life to prepare us, to purify us for that day. So he says, look forward to that day. And everything that happen, is happening around you, you need to understand that it's actually working also for that day. So get in line. Get in line. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, quickly, because I've gone over my personal time, Peter says this. He says, actually, you might think, poor me. Life sucks. Boo-hoo. I want to be in heaven. I want these trials to go away. I'm tired of suffering. Listen to what Peter says to you. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They worked hard, really hard. 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they weren't actually doing this for themselves. They were actually working for you. And in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What is he saying? In a nutshell, this is what Peter's saying. You and I are the envy of prophets and angels. We are living in the most privileged time in the history of the world. The prophets that went before us that suffered much harder than we did. Isaiah was sawn in two. Jeremiah was stoned by the people that said, hey, listen, you tell us whatever God says, we will do it. It's like, okay, we need to return to Jerusalem. You are a liar. And they killed him. They stoned him to death. A man that only told them the truth. Only spoke the word of God for their good. We go on and on and on and talk about all the prophets that suffered. It says that all that they did, all that they labored for, the prophecies the things that they predicted about Christ, that day of glory, they were serving us. It was for our benefit. And that the angels are looking at us and they're like, wow, they get to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. They get to experience salvation. They get the divine approval. God doesn't ever say to the angels, Hebrews tells us, my son, Well done. And he doesn't speak to angels like this. We are the privileged people. We have received what they looked for, what they longed for, what they anticipated with great hope. So don't think, poor me. Think instead, wow, lucky me. Lucky, come on. Wow, I am honored. I am chosen. I am privileged. And there is more honor to come. There is more honor to come. Do you see what Peter's doing? Do you see why he gives you an anchor of hope? Do you see why this is so important? that you know what the end is, that you know what the goal is inside, that you know that there is a reward, that you know that it's glorious, that you know that it's worth it. Because this is the thing that will pick you up. That truth that you will not be disappointed on that day. That truth that you will not be ashamed. That truth that though you are despised and rejected by the world just as Christ was, You are precious and chosen by God and you will receive praise, honor, and glory. Remind remind yourself of that, believer. Remind that. Remind yourself of that. When the going gets tough, we have an anchor of hope that cannot be shaken. So, in closing, if we're having a hard time in our certain circumstances, excuse me, in our current circumstances, If we're getting easily discouraged with the Christian life, our lot in life, depressed, easily irritated, Peter would ask you this, where is your hope? 
And he's not saying it like a, you know, like, come on, get in line. But he's saying, you know this. Every earthly hope will fail and fall. It will all fall. You build your life on love, you will be sorely disappointed. You build your life on success, there will always be someone who is richer, more successful than you. You will be disappointed. I could go on and on and on. You build your life on pleasure, you know what? You're going to get old. And you won't be able to taste things anymore. So dreading that. You pride yourself on your physique. Again, you're going to get old. And everything is subject to the law of gravity. <laughs> right? Guys and girls, right? Yep, we know it. So believer, Peter's doing us a favor here because we are people that are so prone to hope on next week, this relationship, this thing, this break, this race, this experience, this and that. You will be continually disappointed in this life. Why? Because this world is not our home. Lewis also said, if I find in this world something, if I, if I cannot find in this world something that will satisfy, that will totally completely satisfy me, he says, it would indicate to me that I was made for a different world. We have an anchor of hope. We have a true hope that will never give out. A solid foundation. So, Peter would ask us this morning, and I ask you this morning, where is your hope? Your hope in politics? Your hope in the, is your hope in the church? Oh, good glory. I hope not. We're a sad bunch, right? No. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have a kingdom whose builder and maker is Christ. Put your hope there. Secondly, Peter would say, or he would remind us, how privileged we are to be living in the times that we are. And how great, how glorious that we shall receive the divine approval and be partakers in Christ's glory. All of this is part of that living hope. Hope now, that anchor, that foundation that causes us. Now, I can engage with this world I can love and respect those who do not love and respect me. Why? Because I am loved and respected by God. I am loved and honored by God. And I have the divine approval. I need the approval of no man. I have what I am looking for. I have my soul's desire. I find it in Christ and in that day of salvation. But Lewis says this. Sorry, it's like C.S. Lewis all over the place this morning. I love this though. It's so good. He says, meanwhile, the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. (laughs) Dang it! No! We're like, yeah, hope of glory, yes, hallelujah, the Lord omnipotent reigns. Monday! Yeah, we all got to go to work tomorrow. Well, not me. I get to go to York. But I'll go to work when I get back home. Meanwhile, the cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope fully upon the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Work out from the grace of God. 
work out from the love of God. Don't try to do all these things in your own effort. Don't try to muster up the strength. No. Have an anchor. Have a hope in Christ that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken away. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, that you, God, are gracious and compassionate full of mercy, rich in love. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that when you lavished your love upon us through the work of Jesus Christ, Lord, as you made us sons and daughters, that you didn't just peace out and tell us that you'd see us on the other side, but you told us what was to come. Thank you, Lord, for the prophets. Thank you for the apostles. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who has gone before us and tells us, come further up, further in, who invites us to continually make our way to the new Jerusalem. Lord, would we set our hope fully upon Jesus Christ? Lord, give us that sure, that certain foundation, Lord. Lord, that though we are disappointed, Lord, with, Lord, maybe some of the things we assume about life, things that we assume assume about you, Lord, that we even know, Lord, even in our disappointment, Lord, that there is a city, that there is a day of salvation. And if we set our hope there, we will never be disappointed. Thank you, Lord, for preserving that for us. Thank you, Lord, for preserving us. Lord, give us this perspective, Lord, when we go to work tomorrow, Lord, when we go to school tomorrow, Lord, if we go out to play tomorrow, whatever it is, Lord, that we will do, Lord, give us that perspective, Lord. Lord, so that we can do the work of Christ. So that we can engage with people that you love in this city. People, Lord, that dishonor us, that mock us, Lord, that we can love and, re- and honor them. Lord, so that their lives can be transformed as they see us suffer as you suffered, Lord. As they see that humility of Christ in us, they see that spirit of God within us. Use all this, Lord, for your glory, for the furtherance of your kingdom. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.